hppodcraft.com. It was languid curiosity which first brought Stephen Jones to Rogers Museum. Someone had told him about the queer underground place in Southwark Street across the river, where waxen things so much more horrible than the worst effigies at Madame Tussauds were shown, and he had strolled in one April day to see how disappointing he would find it. Oddly, he was not disappointed. There was something different and distinctive here after all. Of course, the usual gory commonplaces were present. Landru, Dr. Crippen, Madame de Mer, Rizzio, Lady Jane Grey, endless maimed victims of war and revolution, and monsters like Gilles de Ray and Marquis de Sade. But there were other things which had made him breathe faster and stay till the ringing of the closing bell. The man who had fashioned this collection could be no ordinary Montebank. There was imagination, even a kind of diseased genius in some of this stuff. Later, he had learned about George Rogers. The man had been on the Tussauds staff, but some trouble had developed, which led to his discharge. There were aspersions on his sanity and tales of his crazy forms of secret worship, though latterly his success with his own basement museum had dulled the edge of some criticisms while sharpening the insidious point of others. Teratology and the iconography of Nightmare were his hobbies, and even he had had the prudence to screen off some of his worst effigies in a special alcove for adults only. It was this alcove which had fascinated Jones so much. There were lumpish, hybrid things which only fantasy could spawn, molded with devilish skill and colored in a horrible, lifelike fashion. Ladies and gentlemen, you have just entered the adult section of the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. Nobody makes eye contact back here, but we will introduce ourselves. <laughs> I'm Chad Pfeiffer. I'm Chris Lackey, and we have a guest host with us this week. Yes, that's right. We have Brooke Fong, nay, uh, Brooke Burgess, our intern, Girl Friday. Brooke, how are you doing? Good. How are you? We're very well. Uh, where, are we, where are you joining us from? Australia. Well, you've been helping us out for, I don't know, how it's been like six months or something like that now. How did you come to get into Lovecraft? Are you studying some kind of weird fiction or something like that? Um, I'm studying film and literature at uni and I'm sort of working towards post-grad and then after that I imagine I'll be walking dogs for a living. Um, but <laughs> before that, I don't know, I actually came into Lovecraft quite late. Um, a lot of people start reading in their teens and I started reading maybe about four years ago, so. What stories did you start with? Uh, I read The Lurking Fear, first of all. So I read what it was about before I read the story and then I actually had a nightmare about what it was about. So it was kind of exciting <laughs> to. Hey, you know, uh, when we did The Lurking Fear on this show, our reader was Paul McLean, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was. And funny enough, because today we are recording from Innsmouth House. Right, because you're moving right now, right? I, well, I've moved. I'm, I've been, I've, it took me a day to move. It took It's taking 20 days to get the flipping internet moved over. <laughs> so Paul has been gracious enough to let us uh, record over here. Paul, say, say hi. He's here. He's here right now. Hello, folks. Here I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pop off now. I'll let you two. All right. Get out of here. Go. Yeah. And Paul is, of course, the host of uh, Yogg Radio and, and the news right. show that, that you two do, right? Uh, news from Nakotis? Yeah, we do news from Nakotis. I say Nakotis. Whatever, man. It's your show. I'll go with Nakotis. Nakotis? Yeah, but. Nakotis. Yeah, that's what we just kind of. It's kind of a, a little news program that we do. It focuses a lot on games, but also movies and books and things like that. But Paul's uh, show, the YSDC, is, is done, it's finished. 
and he started a new patron-only podcast, oh. uh, which is called The Silver Lodge. So you have to subscribe to, to be a it's part exclusive. of it. And it's pretty cool. Then people have been tuning in and checking it out. It's, it's exciting. Speaking of tuning in and checking out, uh, we also have a sponsor this week that I wanted yeah. to talk about uh, really quickly. Our good friends at Miskatonic Books, which is really tailor-made for listeners of this show. It's at MiskatonicBooks.com. And, and this is an online store which focuses on weird tales, gothic ghost stories, dark fantasy, supernatural fiction, all the stuff we talk about here. Yep. You're going to find classic writers like H.P. Lovecraft, of course, Robert E. Howard, Arthur Mackin, Clark Ashton Smith, who actually gets mentioned in this story uh, quite a bit, uh-huh. or at the museum. Uh, Robert Block, lots of modern authors working in the genre as well, like Laird Barron, W.H. Uh, Pugmire, R. Palace, Joshi, Jeffrey Thomas, Thomas Ligotti. And one really cool thing about Miskatonic Books is that you're also always looking to buy, sell, and trade mythos books and ephemera oh so you know if you want to trade your stuff you can go there to do that badass i didn't know that and uh, it's only five dollars shipping for any size order but here's the deal that uh, we get listeners of our show if you use coupon code hplp that's hplp before this halloween october 31st you can take 10 percent off any order at miskatonicbooks.com that's 10 percent oh sweet off learning how to turn people to stone and, and shrivel their hearts <laughs> and all that kind of good stuff wow that's a pretty good deal for some horrific tomes i think yeah absolutely and uh i think that's as good a trans as any in this story, the horror in the museum, ghost written for Hazel Heald, which centers around lots of horrific tomes like the Book of Yvonne and the Unesprickligan Culton. And the Necronomicon. Before we get into those books, we should probably talk about that first couple of paragraphs we heard. They're read by Anthony Tedesco. Yeah, Tedesco's back. I love that guy. Former Mr. Port Chester, New York. He was uh, helping us out in the beginning talking about this guy, Stephen Jones. Okay, so what we've got is a character named Stephen Jones, which is a really bizarre name for H.P. Lovecraft sort of protagonist. I thought, where's our Zebediahs and our Zebulons? <laughs> yeah, I, it, it immediately made me think of Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols, actually, <laughs> the guitarist of the Sex Pistols. <laughs> Um, he's kind of a hipster who sort of goes to wax museums to be disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) Which I've done. (laughs) Okay, so he's heard good things about Roger's museum. Um, he goes there and oddly enough, he's not disappointed. Right. And then there's all these, uh, in the, there's all these names in the beginning here of, of, uh, the things, the, the usual gory commonplaces you would find in a horror section of a wax museum. Do you guys know who any of these people are? I looked up some of them. Some of them I can't find anything about. Um, Dr. Crippen was hanged for murder of his wife in 1910. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, Lady Jane Grey, executed at 16 years old, beheaded. Um, she was surprisingly okay with being beheaded. She was quite polite to everybody who beheaded her, apparently. <laughs> well, and Marky Desaad, I know who he is. Yeah, obviously Marky yeah. Desaad. And, yeah, yeah. and we, uh, Gilles de Ray was the uh, nobleman he fought with Joan of Arc and he was a Satanist who had orgies and stuff we heard about him in the Rats on the Walls I believe all right yeah well one of these things in here is nobody uh Madame de Mare nobody I I I was looking on hplovecraft.com they're discussing this that they couldn't find anything about her so if anybody knows who she is but Donovan had suggested that it might be a typo or something that Lovecraft had written and they couldn't understand what it was the editor so they just put it in yeah it might not even be uh, anybody real it's funny that in the last episode we were talking about that guy being scared by the sculptures and how kind of silly that was. And <laughs> we, we we made a joke that if he went to Madame Tussauds, he'd have a heart attack. Yeah. And then I started reading the story. I couldn't believe it. That's where it starts. <laughs> yep. I can't get the, the Hollywood Madame Tussauds out of my head, though, when I think of this story. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Could it be uh, like Cuba Gooding Jr. and... Uh... <laughs> 
they uh, uh, in this horror section, there's regular monsters, gorgons and dragons and stuff. But there's also this weird mythos stuff, right? Yeah, it's, there's a flipping sculpture of Cthulhu, of of Sothagua, of Tregner Fawn. Come on, you, you, every time I read that, I think of Shaka Khan. Well, yeah, that's my. I have to translate it from Shaka Khan in my brain. Yeah. It's really hard. Shaka Fawn, Shaka Fawn. Love you, Rocky. Shaka Fawn, Shaka Fawn. Love you, Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> and he mentions in the third paragraph that this that this that the sculptures remember remind him a lot of the work of Clark Ashton Smith, who was also a, a, not just a painter but a sculptor. The sculptor that does the wax stuff, he's basically the Pikmin of wax figure guys. Right. Stephen Jones, he's a leisurely connoisseur of bizarre things. So he's like, you know, I really like this stuff. It's very weird. It's outlandish. I'm going to seek out this artist who used to work at Madame Tussauds. Now he has this little office in the back. What they get together, he goes back into his creepy wax man office where he's there's like limbs scattered all over the place and the big pots of boiling wax. It's such a hammy description as well, like the evil-looking crypt, like yeah. dim, dusty windows. You know, very typical, almost cliche, I would say, the setup of this uh, creepy max, uh, wax museum. Yeah, but I love it, you know? I mean, it just reminds, it reminds me of that Vincent Price movie. Uh... House of Wax? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, House of Wax. <laughs> I don't know why it reminds me of that. Well, that was the thing with the House of Wax, was that uh, he was killing people and putting them inside the wax. Uh, right, which sort of factors into this story eventually. Spoiler alert! And the the in the back of this office that George Rogers, another very weird, weirdly commonplace name. George has a there's some kind of heavy plank fastened with a big padlock and some symbol painted over it. Right? Yeah, it's a symbol that he that Jones recognizes from the Necronomicon. Because Jones, of course, uh, being the hipster that he is, has access to the Necronomicon, has read it. <laughs> so he he kind of starts to befriend Rogers, and he gets some drunk one night right gets him talking about you know what's going on and he finds out that rogers has been doing a little you know elder god worship stuff yeah he's been traveling all over the world seeking out strange crazy things he's been to the arabian desert to the interior of africa amazon uh, the amazon valley and, and alaska alaska yeah. you know he makes all these boasts that he's uh, found certain things in nature that no one has found before and and he's trying to imply that these horrible abnormalities he's found out on these quests that's what these really crazy wax figures are about they're based on real things yeah it's funny because jones at first you know he's getting him drunk he's getting him to talk about these things but they're so crazy that he starts getting a little skeptical and that's what makes their cordial relationship start to fall apart yeah which i could totally relate to it's like when you've got a friend who suddenly flies out with something like you know the moon determines whether you're smart or not right i mean you're with me on that and you're just like uh, uh no yeah right i didn't know that about you so i'm gonna back away from the table slowly rogers gets cold with him because he doesn't like him being skeptical. And I think Jones is even trying to humor him by throwing some things out. Yeah, like, you know, some cult stuff that he knows about. Right. And it, but he's still not buying. Rogers kind of knows that this guy's a phony. Yeah, he's real clumsy. He's like, yeah, man, I totally saw some Cthulhu's last night wandering around the neighborhood. <laughs> right, right? You with me on that, right? In September, Jones is down at the museum waiting around for, for Rogers, and he hears the scream but it's it's not a human scream it's like a dog scream this is a great line because he says jones remembers there were no dogs allowed in the museum <laughs> <laughs> like there's usually packs of dogs in a museum that's part of the experience it's not the screaming that upsets him it's the fact that there would be a dog here and he goes wait a minute <laughs> typically dog screaming that's okay but not here not in this museum they're not allowed <laughs> He wants to go into the back to find out where the noise came from. And this dark-skinned uh, foreign man sort of stops him and says, 
oh, Mr. Rogers, he's out or he's busy. You know, come back when the, when the place closes and you'll be able to talk to him. Yeah, this is uh, Orabana, right? Right, right. Well, we don't get his name yet, but it is. It's Orabana. And he reminds me of that guy from the last test. It was a similar sort of... Uh, right, yeah. Sarama was his name. Right. Similar type characters, yeah. The Orabana basically says, you know what, if you come back around six, Rogers will be able to see you. And in the meantime, he kind of pokes around in the alleyway outside of where the office is and peers in and uh, sees that there's some light coming from that boarded up padlocked room in the back Mm -hmm. of the office, which is strange. And there's a great line there where it says that he looks through the three small windows of the basement workroom, which have grimy panes that stare repulsively at him like the eyes of dead fish. I thought that was just great Lovecraft imagery. Yeah, that's good. But so he shows up again to see him later, right? Right, right. He goes over there at six o'clock and uh, Orbana lets him in and Rogers is there and he starts kind of boasting like he's trying to prove something. It's, it's really weird. I just like the line, all the usual boasts. I like that it's boasting. You know, he's saying, hey, hey I know all the important fish men. <laughs> <laughs> right. You want to get into a party with some elder gods, I will get you on the list. This is me. <laughs> and, he, and there's a great sentence, too, when he says the poor fellow's madness was gaining on him. That was good. Well, as uh, Rogers is talking about his elder gods that he's into and boasting, he's sending furtive glances toward the heavy padlocked inner door at the end of the room, right? Yeah. There's something in there that's that's got his got him excited. Yeah, it's funny because uh, this is one of, one of the words that Lovecraft used. Roger's sepulchrally re- resonant bass almost cracked under the excitement of his fevered rambling. Sepulchrally? Yeah. Sepulchrally? <laughs> Sepulchre. Se- it's like a sepulchre. Se- se- <laughs> Say it, Paul. Wait, get on the mic. Sepulchrally. There we go. I feel like I'm watching the weirdest version of My Fair Lady ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, so in his sepulchre really resonant bass what is it that he's talking about well, he's talking about this well it's a dead ancient frozen god that he found up in the arctic and then and then he starts to talk about how um he knows that you have to make a, a sacrifice to it he needs the nourishment of sacrifice because it's a god and, and that's how you would sort of reanimate it the blood is life yeah. is what he says which kind of reminded me a little bit of charles dexter board you know how like they always had a fresh meat and blood and things were needed to bring the thing to life mm-hmm. and so he, he got a dog and that was what jones heard earlier the dog screaming was this dog yeah because he says you know he tells me i like he says the sacrifice was received and enjoyed <laughs> he's going all crazy here he says uh Orabana told me that you heard a dog screaming do you know what that meant he's got that great crazy uh almost um from beyond kind of mad no matter what profession he writes you just put mad in front of it and it works there's a mad yeah. artist there's a mad scientist there was a mad cobbler <laughs> mad cobbler and then he pulls out, what is he, he shows him the, the corpse of the dog, right? Yeah, and the dog, it's it's barely recognizable as a dog. It has all the blood sucked from it. It has all these tiny little holes kind of ripped in its flesh, and it's flat, like almost like it got stepped on, and then everything got sucked out of it. Did you ever see the video of the SSI Shredder? They can put a whole couch through it. It's like tiny, it's a big rotating sort of crusher. That's kind of what the synchronized feel. How can I see a video of that? I, what is it? That would be YouTube. It's called the SSI Shredder. Um, it pretty much does exactly what this thing does. Oh, we got to put some videos of that up on the show notes. Yeah, definitely. Time. So this thing is all sucked dry, and and uh, and then Joan says he he says. You, you monster, how could you do this? This is horrible. And then Rogers is like, oh, wait, no, no, no. I didn't do this. This did it. This thing in here did it. And then he shows him this picture. You know, when he says that, though, that kind of makes me think of uh, the Call of Cthulhu. Remember when Castro uh, was caught by the police and mm-hmm. he said, oh, we didn't kill anybody. We just... The people we just had bodies out there. The other things came and they took the body. Right. And that made, me, made me think of that quite a bit. Yeah, and then he gets out. A, he's got a photo 
of what the thing is that they pulled from the throne, right? Right. And uh, he shows it to him. <laughs> it blows his mind. He says you couldn't describe it with any ordinary vocabulary, although then he goes on to describe it. There was an almost globular torso with six long, sinuous limbs terminating in crab-like claws. From the upper end, a subsidiary globe bulged forward, bubble-like, its triangle of three staring, fishy eyes, its foot-long and evidently flexible proboscis, and a distended lateral system analogous to gills, suggesting that it was a head. Much of the body was covered with what at first appeared to be fur, but which on closer examination proved to be a dense growth of dark, slender tentacles or sucking filaments, each tipped with a mouth suggesting the head of an asp. On the head and below the proboscis, the tentacles tended to be longer and thicker, and marked with spiral stripes, suggesting the traditional serpent locks of Medusa. To say such a thing could have an expression seems paradoxical, yet Jones felt that that triangle of bulging fish eyes and that obliquely poised proboscis all bespoke a blend of hate greed and sheer cruelty incomprehensible to mankind because mixed with other emotions not of this world or solar system. Into this bestial abnormality, he reflected, Rogers must have poured at once all his malignant insanity and all his uncanny sculptural genius. The thing was incredible, and yet the photograph proved that it existed. Mr. Rogers is not such a good neighbor after all. <laughs> <laughs> but almost without mi missing a beat, Joan says, you know, that's a really good fake picture. It's like, what? Every The way that it's being described right now is he totally buys that it's real. And then it's yeah. just like, hey, nice fake. How dare you scoff at me? Uh, you know, I, this at this point, it really reminded me of, or I thought this could be a great Boris Karloff and Belagosi team ups like the Black Cat or the Raven. Yeah. Ooh. I just really imagine that like Lugosi would have been the crazy artist. and It's just the dialogue here when there's a moment when he's like, see here, Rogers, this won't do. It just seems like it would really be <laughs> Boris Karloff, you know? <clears throat> Better not to see it anymore. Let Audubonna break it up and try to forget about it. <laughs> Let me tear this beastly picture up too. You know, I just, ah, I could see it. Yeah, absolutely. So basically what happens is he says it's fake. Of course, Rogers says, no, it's it's, it's real. And he goes, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to leave. And he goes, what, are you, you chicken? Are you scared? He goes, no, I'm not scared. As a, as a matter of fact, I'm so not scared, I will sleep here tonight. Yeah. To show you that nothing crazy is going on. This is obviously some kind of sculpture that you did. And doing it, it's exquisite, must have driven you insane. And I'll just stay here tonight to prove it. Yeah, it's such a great thing. Going to stay the night in the Haunted Wax Museum. Spending the night with the guy who just threw a dead dog on the table. <laughs> I know. Yeah, there's some bad ideas all around in this part of the story. It's great, too, because he says, let's go get dinner, and then we'll come back here around 11, and you can spend the night here. And then as they're on their way out, he gets the dog in a burlap sack, and he takes it out. He lifts the, the manhole cover and just yeah. dumps it down into the... Dumps it down in the sewer. As if this is just a, uh, just a second, I got a few empty dogs I got to shove into the sewer. It's no problem. One, this guy, if this guy killed the dog, you got to think he's a little unhinged, as in yeah. dangerously unhinged. Not just a little wacky, like the guy that lives next door that has garden gnomes that he talks to. It's like, <laughs> I mean, this guy has violent tendencies and you probably shouldn't be going anywhere with him by yourself and him. It's just a bad yeah. idea. But then how him staying the night in the place is going to cure him of 
his delusion? Yeah, it's a silly. Pl- I love it though. I didn't even question that. I was so excited. <laughs> it's. Re- I'm not even kidding. You saying it right now. I'm going. Yeah, that is really stupid. But at the time, I was just like, "What? He spent it in the night. Awesome. I love it." I mean, I didn't enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. I, I thought it was fun, but it is. Mm-hmm. It is pretty preposterous. Yeah. So that ends the. the- Chapter one. And then we get into the uh, second chapter where the uh, the actual spending of the night. The first part of it is he gets in there and he's sitting in the dark, yeah. uh, which is really strange to me. You would think that he'd have some kind of night light or, or something. Well, he has now. a flashlight, doesn't he? He does, but he only turns it on every once in a while to look at the time. And when he turns it on, he sees all the creepy wax statues around and he kind of gets scared. So he shuts it off. Mm. But the, there's no animals. There's no roaches or anything. And, and he remembers Roger saying something like, oh, yeah, we don't have a problem with those things anymore. Yeah. In a real kind of creepy way. So why why there's no mice or insects or anything like that? <laughs> you know, I would do a lot of blasphemous secret rites if it meant really good pest control like that. <laughs> I, I'd buddy up the Shogner Fawn if it meant no more mosquito bites. <laughs> you know, one thing I liked here, too, is when he closes his eyes, he sees... You know, when you close your eyes, you kind of see colored shapes against your yeah. eyelids. <laughs> and he makes those, even those, menacing in this section here. When he closes his eyes, he can see them and he thinks they're moving in some kind of strange way that they wouldn't normally do. And I always, when when you read From Beyond, I always imagine that that's what those shapes in the air look like, like the shapes you see against your eyes. All right, yeah. I, I, I thought that was an interesting connection. Yeah. The, the whole description here, it's really just him doing somebody sitting in the dark alone in a scary place. There's nothing overly supernatural about it at this point. No. He's just describing that that awful feeling and, and how freaked out you get. And, you know, he says things like the air tasted salty and, and the, it felt like there was a breeze even though there were no windows open. I mean, it's just so great to see Lovecraft working the atmosphere of in just sort of an ancient horror method. It's like watching Houdini yeah. do a card trick. You know what I mean? He's, yeah. He, you know, Houdini's always pushing for the big new spectacle, but there's a lot of pleasure in just watching a master execute on the building blocks of his trade. And, and this is Lovecraft just doing a haunted house. And it's just, I love it. It's a really great page. uh, And to interrupt, this is one, this is a reader. Everybody needs to read this one. Yeah, This is a really, really good story. And uh, it's just some some of Lovecraft's best. Honestly, this is the first time I've ever read it. This for the show. Yeah, because I've heard it and I knew it was a team up. Usually the team ups aren't so hot. So I just kind of dodged it. And now it's like, wow, this is great. This is a really good one. And everybody should definitely read this, especially this part of it. It wasn't actually in any of my Lovecraft books at all. Like I had to find it online because I suppose it's co-written, but yeah. And it's a shame because it's, it's it's hammy, but it's a really great story. Yeah, and it's not from from what I heard from uh, Arkham House prints it. It's in their the the horror in the museum. You can get it from from those guys. Uh, but it at miskatonicbooks.com at miskatonicbooks.com. <laughs> Drop that name. Yeah. Uh, and there's a few other places you can get it. I know there's an anthology of Lovecraft's uh, team ups. I love saying team ups. Punisher and Spider Man. Lovecraft and Heal. Uh, you can get all all of those together. That's where I w- was able to find the Love Dead and all those things in this one particular. Mm. Uh, I think it's the horror in the museum and other revisions. Yes, that's it. Yeah. I'm going to just break in midway through the story here to talk about what Lovecraft says about this story in particular. That this, Oh, great. Yeah, this was um, supposedly ghostwritten, according to Lovecraft, as in he wrote the whole thing. She gave him a, a real rough synopsis. And he kind of even threw that out. Mm. We don't know specifically what it was, but you know, let me. I'll, I'll read you a quote from. This is uh, Lovecraft saying, "My latest revisionary job comes so near to pure fictional ghostwriting that I am up against all the plot devising problems of my bygone octorial days." Octorial? 
That's why I didn't read that quote. Do you have that quote too, Brooke? I do, but I just deleted it because I was like, I'll just use the other one. Autorial? Do you have the other quote that he also says? He says, the horror in the museum, a piece I ghost wrote for a client from which the synopsis was so poor that I well nigh discarded it. It's virtually my own work. Which kind of explains why Hazel probably didn't keep any of his letters. <laughs> the style of it also is very characteristic of, of Lovecraft. I mean, it just... Yeah, I had no doubt this was all originally his. Okay, so, you know, what Paul was... Paul, you can talk. You can actually... It's okay. Octorial, octorial <laughs> means characteristic of an author. Right, okay. That's what, that's what Paul was trying to tell me. Early. He was whispering in the background there. Yeah, the- and I couldn't understand what the hell he was talking about. Like, yeah. <laughs> hey, we've gone way off the plot, though. Where were we? So he's he stayed overnight. He's getting freaked out. He sees, you know, he feels like there's a breeze that's that's blowing uh, yeah, there's crazy smells. tentacles back and forth. There's weird smells. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a it's actually there's a great sentence here that says a pretty bad wait, all told. It was awful. But then he starts to hear what he thinks are footsteps in the other room. Yeah, he's a, it sounds like a key or some some something lock opening up, and then he hears footsteps, and then he decides he's going to turn on his light. And yeah. Then, and then pow! Shuffling toward him in the darkness was the gigantic, blasphemous form of a black thing not wholly ape and not wholly insect. Its hide hung loosely upon its frame, and its rugose, dead-eyed rudiment of a head swayed drunkenly from side to side. Its forepaws were extended, with talons spread wide, and its whole body was taut with murderous malignity despite its utter lack of facial expression. After the screams and the final coming of darkness, it leaped, and in a moment had Jones pinned to the floor. There was no struggle, for the Watcher had fainted. <laughs> and that's a, that's a good payoff, because there's, uh, you know... the couple pages before this are just building suspense you know it's, yeah it's a creepy museum he's in there dark it's painting and all of a sudden you get a real live monster that jumps in freaking grabs him it's awesome i'd be out like a light too some kind of insect aid that's nap time baby no way <laughs> yeah all of the things in here are pretty weird to imagine this ape insect and then the ranzagoth itself it's got some weird schnoz and a lot of tentacles and three three big fish eyes he comes to and it's he's being dragged into the back room right by this thing but you know like by it's grabbed him by the ankle and it's dragging him in the thing starts to talk it says ia ia i'm coming rat tagath coming with the nourishment and he goes wait i know that voice that's flipping rogers who would have suspected <laughs> well, i who mean he doesn't this possibly could have gone wrong it's totally that great scooby-doo moment wait a minute well this is i think this is the first time lovecraft has ever had a dude impersonating a monster you know like scooby-doo style here sure old man rogers at the haunted museum <laughs> it pulls jones out of it he kind of goes wait a minute that's rogers and he's in a costume he's dressed up because he's a sculpture so he knows how to make things so yeah. he's made this which he calls a dimensional shambler. Yeah, right? He's got a dimensional shambler costume. It's kind of weird. I mean, at least this articulates the, the truth of uh, horror fiction, though, right? Once you see the monster, it's not as scary anymore. And that's actually what happens to the protagonist. Yeah. Once he sees him, he says, you know what? I'm not terrified anymore. I know what this guy is. And then he flipping jumps up and attacks him. Yeah. It's so cool. And there's a real badass knockdown drag out fight talking like Rowdy Rowdy Piper and they live, you know, it was totally going down. <laughs> it was, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. This guy is great because he went from feigning to dispensing a beat down yeah. within like five minutes. Now when the fight's down, uh, done, he ties him up yeah. and he real his costume is made of this weird leather that when he touches it, it feels like it undulates. Yeah. The implication here is that he killed a dimensional shambler and made an outfit out of its skin. Yeah. That's crazy. That's some Buffalo Bill stuff going on there, you know? 
I, I like what I like even more is that Lovecraft gets a great chance to do some cosplay here because the protagonist. Uh, <laughs> He's like, my clothes got damaged in the fight. Oh, no, I better put on some of the clothes he's got here in the wax museum, you know. I have to change. It's true. It's in the story. He's like, I'll just slip into this frock and periwig. It's really the only choice I have. I had a spot of blood on my shirt. <laughs> oh, golly. Well, uh, Rogers is a mess. Um, he's totally right. got his ass beat. But his major injury, he's got this big scratch on the side of his face, on his cheek. Yeah. Which comes up later in the story. That's why. Right. I'm, that's I'm, important. I'm, I'm pointing that out. You know, no police have shown up after all the ruckus. So he's just going to leave him. He's going to get ready to, to, to go. And Rogers, you know, starts to plead with him. He's like, we got to feed this thing something because if we don't feed it, it's going it's gonna, to it's gonna go crazy. And Yeah. You don't want it. It's back there. It wants a sacrifice. And if it doesn't get it, it's it's bad news, right? Yeah. Well, he says one thing he says, it's, if, if he doesn't get a sacrifice, then none of the if he dies, none of the old gods can come back. Mm hmm. Which to me, I'm like, that's that's a horrible argument you're trying to make. <laughs> you're arguing from the wrong. You don't get what's going on between you and me here, pal. Yeah, I, I'm <laughs> I'm not on your side. You're confusing your goals with mine. And then there's some terrible sounds from behind that padlocked door. Yeah, because something's coming to life back there. And I thought this paragraph here was great when he says, "Listen, fool, listen hard. It has heard me and is coming. Can't you hear it splashing out of its tank down there at the end of the runway?" I dug it deep because there was nothing too good for it. It is amphibious, you know. You know. You saw the gills in the picture. It came to the earth from Ledgray Yogoth, where the cities are under the warm deep sea. It can't stand up in there. It's too tall. Has to sit or crouch. Let me get my keys. We must let it out and kneel before it. Then we will go out and find a dog or cat or perhaps a drunken man to give it the nourishment that it needs. Man. <laughs> Again, his appeals are not, yeah, you know. It's like, you're, you're, no, I'm not. You're, you're really confused, pal. This, is, this isn't what I want to happen. I don't want to make this guy happy. I want to get out of here. <laughs> I just come here to make fun of you. <laughs> <laughs> he is a hipster. Now let me put my trucker hat on over my periwig and get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> but he does hear something and it makes he, he's curious and so he kind of leans closer and something comes out there's a splash out of the tank and something some footsteps and then even as he reflected a fresh evidence of madness beset him something he thought was fumbling with the latch of the heavy padlocked door it was padding and pawing and pushing at the planks there was a thudding on the stout wood, which grew louder and louder. Oh, the stench was horrible. And now the assault on the door from inside was a malign, determined pounding like the strokes of a battering ram. There was an ominous cracking, a splintering, a welling fetter, a falling plank, a black paw ending in a crab-like claw. Help! Help! God help me! gets out of there huh <laughs> yeah and he goes i don't remember anything after that i don't know how i got home i didn't take a cab mm -hmm. i had to cross the bridge over by waterloo i don't remember anything and he goes i don't want to go i, I don't want to go back there i don't want to check anything out so for a fortnight right that's how the english people say two weeks they say fortnight australians what the australians too you know i don't think fortnight means anything different in america either though we just just not in common usage we just don't use it yeah yeah so uh, in two weeks <laughs> in two weeks he comes back 
finally gets up the courage to come to come. Well, yeah, he's got to see some doctors and stuff because he's so messed up from this, right? Oh yeah, he's got specialists checking out, you know, examining his head and alienists. The alienists, yeah, he's got to rest for a while, and then yeah, he decides I better go back there and see what's going on. So he gets back there, and uh, the museums he thought it would be closed or it'd be on fire or you know maybe there'd be bodies all the street, but no, it's open, open for business. People are going in and checking it out. Mm-hmm. So that's a little odd, he thinks. The guy that works the door normally just kind of gives him a friendly nod, like "What up, bud?" And he goes in, hmm, strange. And then Orabana is there. It says, hey, buddy, how's it going? <laughs> yeah, no, everything's fine, Mr. Jones. Mr. Rogers had to leave town. Yeah. He had some important business in America, so he he took off. So I'm managing the place for him while he's gone. Yeah, it's great because uh, Rogers had been pretty abusive to Orabana. Well, you know, <laughs> the poor thing, Orabana, it's implied that he's just been this slave that's been beaten and kind of a good assistant, but he was planning to sacrifice him to the creature. Yeah. What a jerk. He has this guy that helps him out. He's taking care of everything for him. And then as soon as he gets the chance, he's going to have him murdered. He sees it as an honor to be sacrificed. So he's right. kind of being a good guy in a roundabout yeah. way. He's going to make him immortal. Oh, yeah. You know, you make a good point because he's mad at, at Jones for not wanting to be sacrificed, right? He's yeah. yelling at him and saying, you could have been immortal. You could have been beautiful. I don't know if he says beautiful, but he, he, he's, <laughs> he says it would have been good stuff. Well, uh, Orabana says, hey, you should see this. You know, everybody's freaking out about this new specimen we have here. It's called The Sacrifice to Ran to God is the name of it. And he goes, we had to, we had to close it down because people fainted and have seizures looking at it. So right. the police, Scotland Yard came down and said, you've got to shut this thing down. It's too scary. He, he says, but obviously, you you know, you love this kind of thing. So come on in. You're a connoisseur, he says. Come on in. Yeah, take a look at you it. You like this. And then Jones has a look at it and goes, oh my God. Fully 10 feet high, despite a shambling, crouching attitude expressive of infinite cosmic malignancy. A monstrosity of unbelievable horror was shown starting forward from a cyclopean ivory throne covered with grotesque carvings. In the central pair of its six legs, it bore a crushed, flattened, distorted, bloodless thing riddled with a million punctures and in places seared as with some pungent acid. Only the mangled head of the victim lolling upside down at one side revealed that it represented something once human. There's a big sculpture of what we assume is Ram Tagoth and it's holding this person this like sacrifice in its hands right yeah and it really blows uh, jones mind when he gets in a little closer to examine that victim the whole time orbana is just smiling he's just yeah he's really pleased with this and it's not smiling like he's trying to be fake it's like he's one in some way yeah I, that's the impression i get it's just it's so good and he has one in some way because when he gets in closer to examine that face he has a realization the wax of the mangled face had been handled with boundless dexterity Those punctures, how perfectly they reproduced the myriad wounds somehow inflicted on that poor dog. But there was something more. On the left cheek, one could trace an irregularity which seemed outside the general scheme, as if the sculptor had sought to cover up a defect of his first modeling. The more Jones looked at it, the more mysteriously it horrified him. And then, suddenly, he remembered a circumstance which brought his horror to a head. That night of hideousness, the tussle, the bound madman, and the long, deep scratch down the left cheek of the actual living Rogers. Jones, releasing his desperate clutch on the railing, sank in a total faint. Orabona continued to smile. Thank you.
And that's the end of the story. So it turns out that Roger's best work isn't even his real work. It's just victims of his covered in wax. So maybe this is the real reason he was fired from Madame de Swords is because he couldn't make like a, re- a realistic Justin Bieber without having to have monsters drain Justin of Yes. I thought this story was outstanding. I love that last line, Orabana continued to smile. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really liked it. It was first published in Weird Tales in July 1933, um, but it was actually <laughs> written in October 1932. I think this one doesn't get as uh, as much attention as it should. No, this is a great one, yeah. How I never really heard of this, I don't know, but it, it's just such a really fun, good horror story. Yeah. We're running out of time and we went a little bit over, but it's been really fun discussing this. Brooke, thank you so much for joining us finally. Thanks for having me. And uh, Paul, thank you for uh, not only uh, allowing us to record over there, but correcting Chris when when that needed to be done. You're most welcome. <laughs> it's so creepy, man. You're just like lingering in the corner over there. <laughs> thank you very much, Anthony Tedesco, for doing our readings. Excellent job as always. And uh, I want to thank our sponsor one more time. Uh, that's MiskatonicBooks.com. And remember, if you use coupon code HPLP, that's HPLP, uh, before this Halloween, October 31st, you can get 10% off any order over there. At yeah. Books.com. Now, I, I'm going to say, I'm going to just push this. Do it. Go, listeners, if you like our show, go there and buy things because it makes this show possible. And plus, you get books. Yeah, the books are really good. There's cool stuff over there. You get cool books. If you want the uh, small press stuff that's like signed and well-crafted books, they've got those over there. I mean, the high-end stuff, but then they've also got paperbacks and, and, and things that are a little more affordable. You can, you can do trades. You can do Absolutely. all kinds of stuff there. It's really, it's really cool. I also want to say, since you were talking about uh, the money we raised for the ransom, the Call of Cthulhu. Oh, we right. hit that mark. We didn't get. We hadn't. Uh, the timing didn't work right for the last time we recorded, but uh, we'd announced it on our Facebook page and on the on the site. We raised the money. Thank you, everybody who contributed. Yes. And uh, the Call of Cthulhu reading is going to be out next week as a as a yeah. special present for Halloween. That's going to be there uh, next Thursday, so you can download it and you can play it when you've got your festivities going on. When you're handing out candy to the kids, a little Lovecraft yeah. in the background to freak them out, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's all we got for this week. I am Chad Pfeiffer. I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Brooke Fong. And you have been here at the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. HPPodcraft.com HPPodcraft.com Later, he learned about George Rogers. The man had been on the Tussauds staff, but some trouble had developed, which led to his discharge. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs>